0: corporate and special events from the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients. They know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from eggshell light company. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Los. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. Thank you all for listening and reading, and I hope you're all enjoying. This is a... It's got to be day 70-something blurry amount of days still in social isolation. I feel very fortunate that I get to... Enjoy all the technology that we have available to us, and I am using that technology today to reach out to my longtime friend and coworker. His name is Mark Janowitz. He is the principal designer and founder at E Twenty Six Design. He is uh, calling in out of New York. How you doing, brother?
1: Doing well today, Chris. How you doing?
0: Doing good. I am learning why it's not the best idea in the world to have a home office. I love my family. I love my kids unconditionally, but, but damn, dude, they they do not respect a closed door. They don't respect the fact that daddy still has, has a job and some work that he's got to get done. It's taxing. If anybody's out there listening, I, I feel your pain. It's, I love being home and I want to paint a rosy picture of being home all this time, but, but fuck, man, it is, it's a lot of work to be at home. There's a reason that, that we have, uh, exterior offices.
1: Indeed. Uh, I made the decision in, uh, 2010, about two months after my son was born that, uh, I was no longer working from home. He had actually taken my home office. It was a loft space in my old Brooklyn apartment. And, um, I uh, moved into a space down the street, and from that day forward, decided that uh, I would always need to have a separate space that I could walk out and go down the street, or go down the block, or go somewhere that would not be the same home that I live in and share uh, share with my family.
0: Yep, and uh, uh, I think that we're all learning that working from home is possible but we're also learning that there are reasons that it shouldn't uh, be the the immediate go to for sure
1: indeed you know and it's it's funny because there's a it's you could almost think a little bit of like a metaphor um, for our particular line of work our chosen careers you know we are we can be so engrossed and enmeshed in the in in the industry and in the life of the industry and in the business of the industry you know that when we're really in it we're really in it and to be able to um, kind of step out and and separate so that when you're in your, you know, your personal life that that you can actually step away. It's almost like, you know, I mentioned before I step away from my home life to be in my uh, work life, but really it's just as important to think about it as being able to step back from this work that is so much a part of our lives and have a personal life and be able to separate from it and kind of turn it off a little bit at times.
0: That is a great segue into the bulk of why I'm reaching out to you today. We are all so fortunate that we love our jobs. We, we didn't get into this for the, for the, for the glamour or the, the girls backstage passes. We got into this because we love making pretty pictures in the air and it's our art and we, it really becomes a part of ourselves. And when that gets taken away from us, we have so many questions to wonder, what am I going to do with myself if I can't do what I love doing? And it, it, our, our job becomes so intertangled into our identity. And I'm hoping that we can have kind of a, a good discussion on where you lay, what sort of uh, resolutions you've come to, when you can separate yourself. And when you can fully engulf yourself in your in your art and in your product, so yeah, uh, you
1: know it's it's um, it, uh, very poignant points you bring up, and and it is. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, you you spoke to Mike Baldessari recently, and I something he said really kind of stood out to me. Where you know, um, because we we all do. You know, I think of myself as a lighting designer. You know, I'm a production designer. I, this is the, it's it's so entwined. But then, you know, he said um, he's first a provider, second a father, third a husband, and fourth a lighting designer, right? Mm-hmm. And and he it was able to just kind of tie all of them together and how one and four inform each other. Um, but uh, I think it's, it's important to take pause from time to time, particularly right now when we're looking at uh, such a part of how we identify as designers and and it's so far away in a lot of ways from our daily reality you know and um that really makes you start to think about well what are the other things that you can identify as you know um and you work your way back up the list and you know um it's uh yeah it's the the wires are crossed in so many ways you know our our friends are in the business are um you know a lot of our um you know our art is in the business and um you know it's not exactly like um i mean though you know a lot of people during their downtime have been able to find creative outlet be it you know virtual programming for you know um what what do you call it the uh, uh virtual shows or the um,
0: mm-hmm. the Ayrton Board and Buster is the one that we're Busters, exactly. most proud um, of.
1: You know the uh, the fact is, as designers for live entertainment, we're we're not people who go to a studio and paint. We don't we don't immerse ourselves in these um, solitary um, you know in these solitary endeavors to kind of start from this blank slate and bring these things into the world. You know our creativity. That we've re, you know come to rely on so heavily is um, something that really counts on others, and it counts on having, you know, in, in the case of concert work, you know, the musical artists and the audiences and the live shows, and in theater, it counts on having you know um, a good play and a director and all of your collaborators and the actors and a theater and an audience, and um, you know, in without all that it's hard to um, it's hard to remember sometimes that you're a designer when you don't have any design work to do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. It's, it is hard to remember what the the end goal is. Yeah. So, so when you are a designer and which you are uh, just in case you need reminding that uh, (laughs) you're a designer, you're a very good designer, Mark. (laughs)
1: Thank you.
0: How are you able to separate the two? How do you fully put yourself into your art and sell it to a client and make it, you pour yourself into it to make it unique, but when it gets rejected, are you, you also have to be able to separate yourself. You're like, oh, wow, well, that was just my art. He didn't like my art. It's not that he doesn't like me. How do you, how do you separate those two?
1: Such a great question. Sometimes I don't. As in, sometimes I can't.
0: Right. And, uh,
1: it's been something, you know. I I think I can honestly say it's it, it's it's something that I've been working on my entire career, um, and uh, at various times, uh, I've been more successful at it than others. You know, in a personal way, um, you know, I remember like when um, I remember when I sort of made the the decision to. Um, Tour less and design more. Um, And it was also, you know, kind of coincided with starting a family and uh, wanting my career to go a different direction. And, um, you know, discovering that um, if you're designing only, when you get off the bus, a lot of times the artist you're working with um, doesn't necessarily see you as part of their family anymore. Um, And that's not to say they don't value your input. But you might do, you might design one tour, but then not get called back for the next album cycle. And first couple of times that happened, you know, I took it really personally as if, did I not do, you know, maybe I didn't do a good enough job or who did I rub the wrong way? Or did, you know, what, which conversation was it that I had with the manager that made it that they didn't want to hire me back? And, you know, you go through your whole kind of laundry list of, you know, of self-doubt, which we all have a laundry bag full of it. Mm and um and i started to realize at some point you know though perhaps sometimes that's the case hopefully not too often it's also just uh understanding you're you're in those circumstances at least you're you're taking on a different role and a different you have a different place in the client's life and just like they might have different people they bring in to produce their records from time to time or different engineers they Kind of go through different ebbs and flows of who they want to work with the same it's the same thing with their visual designers and um and that it's not it it, it's not a personal thing and and i think when when that started to click for me is when i it became a little bit easier to start to separate out that you know huge personal emotional investment in other aspects of the design and um but, you know, it's always been a thing like, you know, in, in, in my earlier time uh, working in, in concert, you know, when I was kind of cutting my teeth, so to speak, and um, I was working um, as an associate to, with Mark Brickman and we were um, collaborating on the Blue Man group projects together. And he would often say to me, man, you got to like, you got to get your emotions out of this. You know, you're, 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 you're getting too um, invested in every idea. These things, they come, they go, they come, they go. And, um, and I would uh, react to that emotionally. Uh, but over time, I <laughs> matured and grew and realized you know, that, that wasn't, um, he wasn't making a personal attack. He was helping me realize that the real survival over time and the longevity of things is gonna require that you can sort of take those two things, separate them, but, but let them run in parallel But just because one diverges doesn't mean you have to go down with it. And Mm. as that reality has hit, it has become, uh, you know, and as I've grown up and uh, matured and um, had more experiences, it's become, you know, quite obvious to me that, you know, as creative people, we have lots of ideas. Stuff flows freely all the time. And not all of it is going to be, you know, it's not all going to stick and it's okay. And it doesn't mean you're going to run out. The, the well is not going to run dry. Um, and just because somebody wants it to look a different way or looked at your rendering and feels like it's not what they had in mind, or it's not going to work for their show. That doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're a shitty designer. Um, there's so many different factors and f- that have to align for something to end up being, the the keeper if you will and um you know it's interesting i was uh uh i've been on doing some virtual uh, carnegie mellon showcases this week with their um with their grad their graduating students and um you know that's that was a, a big question that came up last night amongst the students is you know how do you um you know maintain creative control and i said you don't you don't get creative control that's that's not how it works especially in the concert you know when you're designing for concerts you know you don't There's not, you don't have just one person. There's not a director who's going to make or break all the decisions. Um, You, you have to be open to what a lot of people say. And more than anything else, as a designer, you're facilitating a lot of ideas. Many of them, and in a lot of cases, most of them on some shows are your ideas, but you're still the facilitator of those. And you're facilitating what other people have to bring into it. And you're facilitating um, how other people are going to, um, how it's going to be executed, um, but you you kind of have to remember that you're bobbing on those waves in the ocean uh, just as much as everyone else, and if you 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 can't decide which way the ocean's going to push you
0: That is probably one of the best explanations that I've heard on that in in quite some time. As a, as a very good way to cover the the emotional part of that separation. And if it ended there, that that I think we would all be able to just kind of relax and into that reality. But unfortunately, it's also tied to our bank accounts. So when we put ourselves fully into a project and it gets denied, let's say we put 2 weeks into something and we we sell we we want to somebody else to appreciate it and see the magic we want them to buy it that doesn't always happen and you're like oh my god that's two weeks of my time my effort and myself just wasted and then you have to decide am I going to try and sell it to somebody else who will appreciate it or did they not buy it because it sucks what am I going to do now with that the value that I put into this that's got to be something that. I'd hope you don't have to deal with that too often, but I would imagine that's something that you've yeah. endured.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if I were <laughs> to your point, if I were willing to use a design that I developed for one artist for a different artist, um, if, if that were something I was okay doing, which generally I'm not, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I can look back to admit, but if I was okay with that, then I would have enough, unused, unhired pitches that I would never have to make another design or pitch for the rest of my career. I have, there's a folder on my desktop called unused designs. And um, I had one of my assistants build that folder for me last year. And it was basically, it wasn't just the designs that were pitched, but didn't get hired. It was also the 25 versions of a design that you might go through before you settle on the one that the artist will use. And I put it together partly because, well, honestly, I needed to clean up some some space on my drives, but also because I wanted to be able to remind myself of times where I felt like I had a kernel of inspiration for something. And I would try, I would try it out somewhere. I would say, how does this part fit in with this part? Could this, you know, I came up with this maybe because, and it's, as we know, it's often the case that you might be pitching two or three designs or thinking about two or three designs while you're also developing a couple of real designs while you're also programming another show. And I've had it before where it's almost like uh, some wires cross and I'll 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 come up with one idea while I'm thinking about one client, and I'll only to realize later on that some part of my brain that wasn't actually thinking about that project put it on that piece of paper, and it was actually appropriate for the other one. And I have to almost wow. like extract it and say, "Oh, wait a minute! I I wasn't actually thinking about that structure for this band. That one's supposed to be for that band, and um, it's uh, which is a little bit different than and this is something. This is the distinction I wanted to make is that um, at least I try, I, I try as much as possible. And, and there's, I, I think we're always thinking, we're always seeing technology, we're always seeing ideas. So you can't completely avoid this. But um, I try not to approach any given show or project or design with a preconceived idea. It's not like I see some technologies and I see some structures and I think about, oh, I've always wanted to, you know, line, you know, a corkscrew shaped truss with a thousand lights and, Oh, Hey, I have an opportunity for this show. So that's, I'm going to pitch it because it's been in my head. Um, I try to instead, you know, be inspired by, you know, the music or the visual references or whatever discussions I've had with the artists, whatever kernels they've given you to then corkscrew into a thousand lights, if you know what I mean. Okay. Uh, So, and, and as such, um, that, Kind of, you know, going back to your question, it's um, that's that prevents me or is my check valve uh, against pulling out something that I pitched on one band that they didn't like and using it for another one. I do. I think it's really important, um, at least like for for my feeling of authenticity, uh, that each time I step into um, a new potential design or creative situation um that i'm that i'm doing something that is as unique as possible for that band um and or for that project and um you know d- is that the is does that make it easy for me <sighs> uh, the furthest thing from the truth I, i'm creating my own uh you know pile of work and uh you know for you know s- some of the gang that works with me and you know helps me in, in my studio you know they can tell you how, how frustrating it can be when we've worked for three or four days to put together an idea and we leave. And I'm like, this is the one, I'm submitting it tomorrow. And I come in the next day and I'm already, I've already ripped it all apart and I'm starting on a new one. And yeah. And it's, um, it can be a problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I would imagine three weeks later when they, uh, when they accept your bid, you're like, Oh, that that's three weeks old. Uh, That's that's so three weeks ago.
1: There's also, you know, it's something I'm working on, because uh, honestly, it's tied into this thing. And I, and I, and I you know, I, I don't know if I want to like, rip my heart open too much on your podcast here. But, you know, I think that it's almost endemic to, um, to being an artist, if we can call ourselves artists that, you know, you're always going to have some degree of doubt, or self doubt about whether or not the work you're putting out there is, is really of the quality you want it to be. And when you have what, when you add in the difficulty of extracting your, you know, your person, your identity from the work you're doing, um, you know, putting out, showing someone a design and saying, do you like this design is, is hard to extract from putting yourself out there and saying, do you like me? And, yeah. um, you know, so, so there is no, formula for how to keep those apart except to keep reminding yourself that one and the other are not necessarily tied together yeah um, so now i try to give it two days before i rip the design apart just in case it was actually really (laughs) just fine before i beat it to death and took it to what i like to call the other side of good you know version Mm -hmm. 15 is usually better than version 25
0: so if you get beat up too many times, or if you get rejected too many times, I would imagine that eventually you might try and change your inspirations or your creativity, your process and your workflows. How do you decide when to really lay it all out there and go big? And how do you decide when to play safe? When do you decide, hey, I really need to get this one because it fits into my into my schedule perfectly. I'm going to design a, a very safe one that I know they're going to take, as opposed to really let the mark madness flow. You're like I'm. I'm going to do this as a passion project because I want to see this come to fruition. Uh, what are the What are the factors in that decision?
1: Wow. So of the of the 25 or so questions that you just packaged into one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Let me see if I can unpack that a little bit. Um,
0: uh, let, me, let me put it as, as gently as, as possible. Like, when do you go big and when do you go safe?
1: It, so it depends, okay? I mean, if, you know, the, uh, last year, was last year the year before? What year is it now? 2020, right? So it was like late 2018. There was a um, potential project put in front of me that I was asked to pitch on. That was a, um, it was a band that was, you know, I, I would say, two to three levels above my usual workload. I mean, you know, my, the genres I tend to float in mostly are, um, you know, indie bands, um, you know, the sort of uh, one to three truck tours, the, you know, 3,000 to 8,000 seat venues or so. And this was a band that was, um, you know, at a much more popular range and, you know, in the the more like 15 to 20,000 seat range and, you know, I thought this is, you know, this is an opportunity that won't present itself every day. Um, and I, uh, there's many reasons why this would be a good fit for me, you know, both from a career development standpoint, an exposure standpoint, obviously, you know, a business, uh, you know, a, a fee standpoint. And, um and, and. And I, you know, I wanted to go for it, but I was also um, I wanted to make sure I did it my way, like rather than think, well, what does, you know, what does a designer who does big arena shows, like how would they handle this? Which would be mm-hmm. it's kind of my first thought, like, well, you know, how do, what, what, what is that, you know, what, what is that toolbox? I just thought I kind of flipped it around. I said, well, what, you know, from my standpoint, where do I how do I just kind of tackle an appropriate size thing for what they're looking for, but keep myself in it? And, um, and you know, so I just decided, even though it would take a lot of resources to just pitch the job, and this was one of the ones they, they wanted to see some polished renders. They wanted to know what my show would look like, you know, and that's not the same thing as a, as a sketch. Um, so I went for it and um, pulled in, you know, extra resources filled my office with, um, you know, with, uh, you know, modeling and rendering and, um, Photoshop folks in addition to my kind of normal roster. And, um, you know, we, we, we went for it and, and it wasn't, it was not an easy process. I was also touring with something else for a lot of it. So I was in and out and working remotely, working on my, you know, hotel days off and, um, came up with something that was, um, you know, pretty out there, I mean, to the point where I got to the point and looked at, I said, this is probably too far out there, um, but fuck it, you know, I went this far, (laughs) you know, it was one of those things where if I'm going to step in and kind of step off the deep end, you know, into what was, you know, a little bit of an abyss, like I'm going to do it with, in a way that makes me feel like I will be proud of that work and to where it's, um, you know, if they take it, then then I know that this is going to be a great fit because we're, we can now run with that and iterate that and they can afford it and we can really do it. And if they don't, then it was a great exercise. Um, and I will regroup afterwards and take everything I can to learn from that process and hopefully get another opportunity down the road. And, um, okay. and, and it turns out I did not get the show. Um <laughs> i know
0: that's a great story
1: <laughs> <laughs> i uh um and it's uh it's in the unused designs folder and um and let me tell you that's one I kind of wish I could reuse um but but i won't um but i will- i will reuse the learning process that went along with it uh to okay. the next time and um you know I think a big part of knowing you of knowing when to go over the top or when it's okay not to. It's like, um, you don't necessarily, you know, we, we're all present circumstances aside, of course, being, you know, our industry on, on hold. In general, we're, we're freelancers. We don't know where the next gig is coming from. And, um, you know, you do have to build up some degree of like, I know I have to make this much business this year in order to make my nut, et cetera. Um, but at the when you one of the ways I get around the panic of fuck, what am I going to do next is, well, what did I do before? Okay. You're looking at an empty calendar. It's November. Next year looks empty. What did you feel like last November when you looked at the empty calendar? Same bit of dread. What happened in January? Your phone blew up and Mm -hmm. you ended up having a busier year ever. And you went from gold status to platinum status on United because you couldn't get off a damn plane. (laughs) So, um, and and I got to say, I, there's no formula for that, right? You just, um, some of that is having some confidence and having some expectation that, you know, if the sun came up yesterday, the sun will come up tomorrow. You know, it may look or feel a little different. It may make you feel different every time it comes up. No two sunrises, no two sunsets are the same, but they always Mm -hmm. happen. And, um, Um, so that helps me draw the line. Uh, but in general, and I, I, I think that this is something that we could, um, I, I think a lot of designers and certainly a lot of, a lot of the folks you've already spoken to and maybe um, some of the folks who are hearing this or, or others, uh, there is a prevalent subject It right now is the pitch. How much are you willing mm-hmm. to put in and how appropriate is it for, um, you know, for what managers and artists expect and um, how much of a resource to dump in, you know, and it, it's, it's nice to look at certain levels. I'm sure at the, you know, at the biggest level of shows, you know, especially if you have an agent to help you out with this, you know, you can charge a pitch fee, right? And that, it, that's nice because it covers a lot of the resources so that you can come in knowing that the quality of your materials and the depth in which you've taken it is at least you've covered your costs. And so if it doesn't happen, that's okay. You know, you're going to go pitch another one, you're going to pitch another one. Um, but to go into that where, you know, maybe that is a lot of resources you're devoting to a pitch uh, without any guarantee of any sort of remun- remuneration on it. Um, it's uh, you, you re- you can't do that to every single one. You certainly can't do that with every single one when you've got, you know, kind of real life adult expenses and, um, uh, you know, so so I think that um, these things are actually tied together in that part of what I've learned and, and continue to try to reinforce in my own work is that when in the early stages, um, before you've been committed to by a client, before you've committed to a client, um, you know, before things are signed off, maybe don't show all your, don't show your whole hand, you know, be, be vague. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've learned to um, I've learned sort of the art of the polished napkin sketch that then gets a little bit of um, like um, sort of extra sample flavor, if you will, sprinkled in in Photoshop um, Mm -hmm. where you're not, you know, doing, you know, 20 renderings and, you know, budgeting the whole thing out and figuring it all out and then putting it out and saying, Hey, hey, hire me. I can fit. Um, But instead, you're putting out what you can reasonably absorb and not so emotionally invested in the work that if it doesn't come through or they don't like it or you have to change it or whatever, that you then have to also, you know, question your, you know, your, your abilities, your creativity again.
0: Yeah. Software licensing fees are a bit more expensive than the old bar napkin and a Sharpie you need. There's resources that need to be compensated for when you're putting together a a capture or a MA3D or a cinema 4D photo. It, It takes time and effort. And those aren't, those aren't cheap.
1: Yeah, no, I would say, and like for my own operation here, you know, it's, it's rare that I will, um, you know, get into a, um, you know, get into a, uh, light converse, turn everything on, render it uh, w- without actually having, a, having a commitment from an artist, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe I'll get, maybe I'll spit one or two of those out. If I know that, or I get the sense that other people sort of um, vying for the same job might be doing the same, right. Um, but generally, you know, it's, you, you, can convey a lot in a, you know, in a vector works model that you've rendered as a sketch And then you layer over with some, um, you know, beams that you pulled from Photoshop. You can, you can get pretty far. You know, sometimes you have to get a sense of what your clients are expecting.
0: Now, do you think that you had to, do you think you have that luxury because of your experience and your reputation? Did you have to do uh, a fair amount of pitches for free, uh, to get to this level?
1: Uh, I would say I'm still at the same level where most, if not all my pitches are for free. Um, I I think flipping it around, it's, it's not a status thing. It's more of uh, in my experience uh, and almost like in a, as, as a method of survival um, I've just kind of made the the decision over time to put less out there early on. Okay. Um, And, uh, and as such it also leaves you some room so that um, you, you know, when, when you do, you know, when you, do pitch it, and you get the show, and you've and the and you've been um, embraced and hired and contracted. Um, if some of the ideas you put out there maybe aren't as tenable as you thought budget wise, or the artist has changed their mind, or you've changed your mind, or whatever it is, you're not totally locked into every single detail. You just sold them, right? Uh, you got to leave it a little bit of room. Um, you know, I think what was a real eye opener for me when I went more exclusively into designing and less about kind of being um you know the, the road guy who also gets to design it um it was that the uh, an eye-opener for me was that um after designing one album cycle for for an artist um you might actually have to pitch that artist the next time around um that they okay. that there might be other people that they want to talk to which is you know as as i said earlier uh, totally understandable. And, um, but early on, it didn't, I thought to myself, well, we already have a relationship. You know what I can put out, you know, you know, we, you know, me, I know you, we already put this together. We had a successful run. People, you know, were speaking highly of the visual, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, so that early on that, that actually pushed me away for a while to where I was like, you know what, I'm if I would take it personally and I would step away from it. Um, now I just, um, <clears throat> try as much as possible to stay focused on the project at hand and not wonder too much about what it's going to mean when the show is over or, you know, um, it's funny, a, a lot, a lot of the work I do these, these days is also, um, you know, lot, live comedy specials. Um, and, uh, you know, in those cases, you know, you're not necessarily pitching against other designers as much. Usually an artist or a producer, comedian or producer has, um, you know, maybe they've already made a decision that they want to work with you. Um, But at the same time, those teams are crossover in so many ways that, um, you know, that producer might also be working on four other shows at the same time with four other designers. And, um, you know, just because you're only doing one of the four, instead of wanting the other three, just be happy. You have the one you got, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and some of your esteemed colleagues are doing some of the other ones and um, you know, you might cross over with them at other points and um, and that's all fine too. You got to really kind of keep your head into the things that you have in front of you uh, rather than wanting for the things that might be down the road or coming later.
0: No, that's uh that's very Buddhist of you to <laughs> remain in the now and, not worry about the, the future because,
1: uh, yeah, you know, I'm working on trying to be present.
0: <laughs> good for you. It's uh, it's going to help you a lot. It's going to help you main, maintain your clarity and your equanimity for sure. You're going to remain calm thinking about only the things that you have control over at this exact moment. Yeah. Uh,
1: but I mean, you know, let's not, you know, in all seriousness you do have to be personally invested in the work you're doing. You have to be personally invested in the design and, and, and the creative design you're putting forward and in the relationships you're forging. Um, you, you can't just, you really can't separate out and be like, yeah, I'll just put her, you know, I don't give a shit. It's flash and trust. Just another show. I mean, uh, I shouldn't say you can't, I can't, um, uh, just, Mm -hmm. but I think that, um, it also for your own state of mind, your own state of health and for your own well-being, you have to be able to step back and say, not everybody likes every painting, not everybody mm-hmm. likes every song. Um, you're not going to please everybody. And, and that's OK. And, and you might, you know, I have there's one artist who I worked with a few years back. Uh, we had a really great relationship together, uh, kind of helped them grow out from a um, you know, a certain level of their touring into a much bigger level of their touring. And, um, we still enjoy good communication to this day. I have pitched on their next two shows, next two tours thereafter and didn't get it. And I'm like, you know what? That's okay. Because, um, at the time that we were crossing at at the time at which we were interwoven, it was all producing the kind of work that they needed at the time and that I needed at the time and you know that doesn't mean that the next one thereafter the next one thereafter was meant to click it wasn't meant to be that's okay yeah you know what i'll still pitch on their next one if they'll let me and we'll see how it goes
0: that is uh as as also a a great nugget of wisdom there it's you know we we cross paths and if we stay on the same path together we're going to stay stagnant so you know we have to realize we're going to outgrow each other and if we stay together, that's great. If we don't, then there's probably a reason for it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I want to touch upon is what I, I'm, going to, I'm going to coin the value ladder. A Mark Janowitz design from 2000 had, had a, a certain amount of reputation and experience behind it. But a Mark Janowitz design from 2020 has an extra 20 years of experience and, uh, and value behind it. How do you decide when you're on the next rung of the ladder? How do you know that uh, a design that took you a week used to be worth X amount, and now it's worth X times 20?
1: Uh, Well, firstly, I'd say I don't really, I don't know that there were a whole lot of, Marciano's designs in 2000 that would um would have commanded much of a fee at all Uh, at the time. If I were (laughs) the kind of designs I was doing, you know, outside of my employ at the time with Blue Man, the kind of designs I were doing was a lot of downtown theater, um, Mm -hmm. which would definitely pay almost nothing. Um, Mm, Almost nothing a lot of, you know, oh, you're, oh, you're playing at a uh, Galapagos in Williamsburg. I've got 12 park hands sitting in my, uh, in my barn in Brooklyn. I'm going to take them with me and we're going to have a great time. It was that sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but my question outside of that, uh, for clarification, do you mean monetarily? Like, how do I look at a, a yeah a fee structures change? Yep. Yeah. Good question. Well, I mean, on the business. I mean, you side, can't,
0: you can't go out there. You can't, uh, you can't, feed your family anymore on 50 bucks that you used to be able to for doing a bar band somewhere you just
1: this is this reminds me a little bit of a conversation i was having with um with dan hadley a couple years ago at the knights of illumination awards and we're you know kind of having an an off the record off the cuff conversation and i'll keep the details off the record Um, but it was a little bit of a compare and contrast like um you know how do we know that the managers and the tour managers and the various people who we might be making our deals with, you know, how do we know that they're really offering us fair deals, you know? And, and, mm-hmm. um, because there are definitely times along the way where, you know, you have a client, especially you have a relationship with where they say, Hey, look, you know, I only have X to spend. I need you to do it for that. And, um, and if it's someone you've got a relationship with, you'll often just say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Um, so, um, you know you and i have talked about uh this and 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 i know mike baldassari was talking about this with you and i think uh you know my, this kernel of wisdom came t- to me from like the one conversation i ever had with jules fisher in 1999 where he you know said it's called the entertainment business and it's show business and we do shows but you're a business and um it's been important for me to try to rel- keep that as a, uh, it's like a little bit of, it's like one of the litmus tests for whether or not a project's worthwhile. And I don't base whether I'm going to take most of my projects on just the fee, just the number whether it's monetarily valuable. In fact, that's one of the later things that I will usually get into a discussion about. Um, so I have, um, honestly, it's, I have a rate chart that I developed um, years ago and really hasn't changed very much. And it puts it, at least for concert work, puts it, it's a little bit of a formula between um, what I think, you know, and it's broken down to, um, you know, venue size, tour size, how it's touring. So it's like, you know, small cap rooms, 500 to 1200, bus and trailer, floor package only. Okay, what is the range that that's worth? And that's based on how much work do I think is going to go into it and how much budget do I think they're going to, have to spend on a design and then it works its way up from there 1200 to 2500 seats you know small theaters and sheds and one truck show two truck show um there's about five categories uh each one has overlapping design fees depending on you know if it's going to be lighting only is it a lighting and production design is there scenic elements are there video structures that are going into it um and then um you know I, I ask a lot of questions when I'm contacted by a potential client and uh, kind of compare and contrast what I can with the, with the fee structures and, the, and my rate sheet, and, uh, and I come up with it. And a lot of that's also based simply on, um, you know, my own personal cost of living as a mm-hmm. 40-something-year-old father of two in the New York City metro area um, trying to maintain <laughs> a certain lifestyle. And uh, and honestly, you know, the uh, so oftentimes the fee won't hit where I want it to be, but if there's other elements to it, like I get to work with people who I really respect and enjoy or have always wanted to collaborate with, or um, I think it's going to be really um, a, a creative opportunity that's going to fulfill me that way. Um, or, you know, <laughs> if it's really slow time, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But um, uh, the, the, the value of the thing, you know, um, it's usually the, there's a calculus to it. And you can kind of figure out how many days am I going to spend on on the design process? How much previs is going to go into it? Can I build a previs separately from uh, the design? Is there, um, you know, am I going to be in rehearsals for six weeks or is this going to be, you know, three days to the first show and out, um, how much time am I going to need my assistants in the studio for to be doing, um, drafting and, um, uh, modeling and other paperwork. And, um, uh, you know, from that, you kind of, it's, it's a business cost of goods sold.
0: Yeah. These are all valid factors. These are all something that people will forget about. They won't, they'll forget that there there's going to be that much time and effort necessary Uh, especially if it's a band that they're a big fan of. I've seen a lot of people jump head over heels to get, to be uh, working for a client that they fully respect and only to realize that they left a lot of money on the table.
1: Yeah. Yes. And, um, and you don't necessarily have to always take every penny off the table, but you don't want to leave too much on it either. And, and that has to do, I think a, a little bit of a fair symbiotic relationship with the artists you're working with or with the client you're working with, you know, it, this is what his way: If you had a client who had budgeted, you know, X amount of dollars for a design fee and you came at them with a proposal that was half that amount, you, <laughs> you would kick yourself later if you found out what the real number is, and you would certainly hope that uh, if it was a client you'd worked with before, they might uh, suggest to you that you can up it a little bit.
0: Yeah, we can only hope that we get that level of transparency. Like, hey, hey, Mark, you left some money on the table. Just want you to know.
1: <laughs> um, we can only hope.
0: Um, I'm pretty optimistic. I don't know if I have that much faith in uh, in that in the majority of humanity to to be that transparent, though. Um,
1: in 2006, I would be highly likely to um, do an entire design and all the previs and everything. For one or two extra days of road pay, if if that, and then provide my own console, my own previs, and then beg, borrow, and steal any deal I could on gear to make sure that the show went off in the best way possible. And um, that's I'm not, I just that's not really the case anymore. I, I might still do the beg, borrow, and steal part and which we now call um working your relationships um Mm -hmm. but uh but the rest of that stuff is is an investment and like i said you you have to consider the cost of your goods sold in figuring out how to make a successful business side of your life in the entertainment business
0: that touches on another very large topic that we should probably cover in this one is when do you decide to fully put yourself into something where the person has come to you and said hey look I don't have the budget to pay you what you're worth on this one, but I need you to really go above and beyond on this one so that I'll get you on the next one. Do you, do you, do you find yourself going for that carrot? Cause I, I'm a sucker for that carrot.
1: Uh, yeah, good question. Um, I've, uh, I've fallen for that carrot a few times only to discover that, uh, you'll never, you know, the carrot's made of wood, so to speak. Um, yeah. But, you know, look, again, it's, we, we talk a lot about relationships, right? And experience. And if it's a client who I've spent some time with or a manager who I've had, who I enjoy a, you know, good, um, respectful relationship with, a personal relationship with, and they tell me, you know, I, I need you to take one for the team here so that we can make it all happen the next time. And, and it's within my reality at the time to do so, as in I'm not, you know, passing up on, you know, some really important things in order to do it, then no question. I just do it. Um, and, uh, um, that's, uh, but, but that it's like having, it's like somebody having sort of a good credit rating with you. You know what I mean? If you've Mm -hmm. worked with a manager who's dangled that carrot four times and it's the fifth time and it's the sixth time and it's the seventh time, you know, then, um, you know, that's, that's your bad for falling for it each time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) bad donkey. In the same way that, um, you know, alluding back to my beg, borrow, and steal slash massage rela- relationships, you know, if I keep going back to the same lighting vendor over and over saying, hey, just do me a solid this time, just do me a solid this time, just do me a solid this time, and never land them a real, a real show, um, then, you know, same thing. How can I expect them to really help me out in the future? You know, Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I <laughs> hope there's not too many folks out there who might actually put me in that category Um, you know it's hard though not every show not every risk and gamble you take is going to pay off and Mm so I I do think that um, it's back to the discussion of earlier where I I take I do I rely less on what is promised in the future for how Mm -hmm. I make current decisions and I try to let the things that are in front of me have kind of their own parameters and if one of those if if one of those uh things in front of me if if an advantage to it if one of the things in the pro category is that um there is good potential for it to then flourish in the future then that's to be considered and and it's part of the equation
0: Mm -hmm. so anybody listening i want to i'll make it very specific about a carrot that i often fall for is when I'm running a headliner act and then we either have like a, a very nice, uh, opening band, then they, they don't have much. They've got like, you know, a tour manager slash merch guy, and they're the same person and they're, they're driving their own truck and they come out to front of the house and they're super polite and they're like, Hey, we don't have any money, but we know that we need lighting. Can you run our show for us? And, uh, we'll give you a t-shirt and, uh, you know, if we ever make it big, we'll, we'll, we'll take your card and I fall for that freaking carrot every single time. And it's not that it's their own fault. You know, most of the times they don't call because they never actually make it big, but the the one or two times that they have made it big, like I fell so hard for that carrot. I'm like, Hey, you guys, so I see you made it big. Remember that time I, I just took a, a t-shirt and, uh, and a and a beer cozy to run lights for you, and you guys kind of said you were going to back me up on when I needed help. They're like, "Yeah, who?" And uh, you guys, everybody, anybody's listening. That's a that's a that's a huge, delicious-looking carrot because we've been told that that's kind of how some people make it in this industry. That you know, if you're nice to an opening band and they're going to bring you up someday later with you, it's so hard to to decide if you should be nice to that band for future gains or are you being nice to that band just for for just because you're being nice in that exact moment i i kind of wanted to ask if you've ever had that happen
1: yes in a in a slightly different way um okay but but, but i totally i totally know what you're talking about um you know and and let me cl- clear like right now i have um two or three clients who are what i would call you know young artists who don't have the budget for design work who don't really have budget for you know qualified road personnel and lds to come out with them and um you know the i call these my development clients and mm-hmm. um you know it's a little You're bit very of good like, with terminology it's a well it's a man it's a little bit of like um you know, um, it's like putting some seed money into something, you know, it's, um, I give them as much attention as I can. And, um, and, you know, fortunately, I I have, um, you know, I have uh, some pretty decent relationships, like I I mentor some younger designers who come to me from different universities, particularly like Carnegie Mellon, and, um, you know, people who are really anxious to get some road time who are really creative and really hardworking. And they spend a lot of time in my Studio And they hear me talking constantly about all of my sort of philosophies of shows and lighting and business. And, and that I just know that they're chomping at the bit to get on something. And, you know, then I find, then I get a sort of a, a, a development client who's chomping at the bit to have something. And if I can put those things together, um it's not dissimilar in a way to what you're talking about in kind of helping the opening act, you know, and um sometimes those have developed into, you know, much bigger long-term projects. And sometimes, you know, it goes around for a little while and then, um, you know, that it, and then it doesn't develop, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you get a lot out of that, even if you're not getting a paycheck out of that. And, um, you know, in on a lot of fronts, there's a lot of positivity and a lot of good vibe being shared on that. And, um, you know, you don't know, you never know who's hiring you next and who's in the room. You don't know what other clients that manager has, uh, or might have in the future. Um, you don't know where that artist might end up in five years. And, you know, um, you, you really, in a lot of cases when you can have to tr- treat those with the same, um, potential for, um, fulfillment, uh, mm-hmm. as you do a lot of other things. Uh, you know, I, I, Right. The way my career is structured right now with with touring and actually running shows, you know, there's only three acts that I get on the road with uh, and actually operate for uh, in addition to designing and um, two of those acts. I also production manage, which makes for a very busy day overall for me. And the other one is always doing evenings with so. In those three categories, it's much easier for me to say, I can't sit out here. I can't run your show. I mean, I, I I barely had enough time to focus and I'm going back to the production office. I'm going to put out this fire. I'm going to put out that fire. Um, uh, but but one of those acts, it, well, one of those acts is my morning jacket, which is like, you know, kind of like what I'd call my flagship client. And, you know, they, they're the ones who are, are, you know, really real family to me over the course of 15 years. Um, and Early, very early on in my time with them, when I wasn't production managing, um, the band's edict was: we treat the support acts with full, the utmost respect. We treat the support act in the way that we want to be treated when we are the support act, and you know, within limits. Obviously, like, <laughs> if the writer calls for you know, something that's unreasonable, you treat them the same way you would treat any other act with an unreasonable request. But in mm-hmm. general, you welcome them with open arms, you make space for them, you, um, you, you know, it, in whatever way you can help them. If there's not a house LD, you know, you get somebody from your crew to um, agree to work with them. And, you know, within, within limits, but mostly like with My Morning Jacket, if a band comes in as a support act and they really, um, they curate their support acts and that act needs an LD and doesn't have one and can't afford the, you know, two bucks per minute to have one of the techs, one of my techs run it, then, um, then we'll just pick it up. We'll just, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that the person who's covering that role gets a few bucks um, so that that opening act is treated with the same respect and the same, um, welcome mat that we would want to be treated if we were the opening act.
0: Yeah. That's very Confucius of you. Now you're, you're really hitting on all the Eastern philosophies here. It's treat well, others okay, as you right. would like to be treated. That's, that's very simple.
1: It's funny you say that because, uh, it sounds Eastern, but it's also Western. It's all, uh, it's a tenet of almost every world philosophy. It's the yeah. Hammurabi's code, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good one to at least use. Uh, maybe if you can't totally live by it, at least try to use it as a good reference when you're trying to figure out how to do the right thing.
0: Hmm. Man, this is uh, we uh, we definitely touched on uh, a lot of things in this uh, this podcast. I hope that anybody who's listening can really uh, take time to ingest some of the things that uh, Mark Danos is throwing out here because these are these are uh, very philosophical truths here that uh, to remain in the now, treat everybody the way you want to be treated, uh, give yourself value. uh, Don't listen to yourself when you're beating yourself up too bad. Or if you, at least if you do realize that you're beating yourself up and it's not somebody else beating you up Uh, and uh, definitely dealing with self doubt, man, that is as so tough. I think it's a, a barrier that keeps a lot of people from, moving up the value ladder. There's, they're the ones saying like, that wasn't worth what I think it was. And it's often our, it's our own psyche doing it to ourselves. And that's, that's so tough. So Indeed.
1: yeah, you you can be your own worst enemy. And most of the time you know, oh,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But you know, it, man, it, then you have these moments where, you know, you're in a dark you're in a dark theater, dark venue and the band kicks in that first note, man, and you like, you know, you might have had the shittiest day of tour ever. But man, they hit that note, you hit that first cue, the crowd goes wild and you like you your entire body vibrates and you just kind of kick back and say, "You know what? All kidding aside, I really kind of got the best job in the world." And uh oftentimes no matter where I am in the kind of the design process, the business process, you know, the loading process, the negotiation process, the doubt or self-doubt process, I, t- I try to remember what that feels like. And I try to remember being a kid and going to a concert and getting blasted by the blinders and being like, I want to be the guy who hits that button. Yep. And, um, and, I, and it it brings it all back together and, and kind of reminds me of of what it's, really all about at least as far as our choice to be devoted to being um you know designers
0: absolutely that is a great way to end the podcast thank you so much mark i really appreciate it this is it's fulfilling i really appreciate our time together this is it makes me feel a little bit better man this is this is great
1: thanks chris really appreciate talking to you as always